Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 32. Before we get going with this week's episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to your amazing reaction we had for Greg Bateman's episode. And a special thank you to Roy from Rithin, who said it was the best yet. It might seem like a small thing for you, but for me, to keep delivering this content every single week for free, reviews and ratings are so important. So if you could take a couple of minutes, wherever you get your podcast from, be it Amazon, Spotify, Apple or others, it doesn't matter. Please rate and review as it does help others discover this podcast series. Next week, we'll have our Christmas special episode where we catch up with some legends from the club and get a view of what might happen in 2021. We are hopeful we'll have some poignant songs in between some of our interviews and readings. This week, our guest is someone who has been connected with the club for over 30 years and is a language scholar from Oxford University. The hundreds of parents and players who have been through our minis will have been inspired by his coaching and enthusiasm for looking after our youngest cohort of players. Not only that, he is also a talented musician and takes centre stage at our Christmas party every year playing the saxophone as each age group sing their traditional Christmas song. Our guest this week is Honorary Vice President Seb Scottney. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by London Welsh Developments. London Welsh Developments offer the entire range of services for all your home needs, from plumbing, electrical, joinery and building and maintenance. Their many years of experience building all forms of extensions and conversions, the odd new build and some bespoke garden rooms and home offices. You will clearly see the attention to detail and understanding of your home that is difficult to match. They really do care and want the best for your home with no stone left unturned. For more information, contact London Wells Developments on 0208 335 9123 or email on info at lwdltd.co.uk London Welsh Developments Welcome to the pod, man of many talents but someone who has been at the heart of the club for over 27 years inspiring the next generations of players at the minis it is our very only Sebastian Scotney Hi Seb Nice to be here, thanks Gar uh, no, no problem. It's been um, look. I've been wanting to get you on this for a while because I think a, a lot of people know who you are and what you do at the club. But there's a lot of people at the club who won't know because they they come and watch the first team rugby play things like that. But you've been involved in the minis for so long and instrumental in um, so many people at the, being at the club. I would say. But first things first, Seb. How are you? And in this strange year, how's it all been for you, really, in the family? I'm very well and um, family, I mean, these days there are three little grandchildren and I had a one highlight was in August when the two of them who were then living in France and are now in Cambodia of all places, I was able to spend a little bit of time with them and I have a third grandson who's in Berlin. But no, family are well and I've, with what I do, I've got an incredibly loyal team around me, the health is good, I mean, I feel very lucky, yeah. That's great news. So, 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 yeah. So, has your work been affected during the lockdown anyway um, at all? Well, what I do is I run a jazz website and we send out a newsletter. And what we think, I mean, I just made sure that all of the close team that I work with were able to carry on as normal. And so, what we've done is we've kept the site going, and we've kept the newsletter going, and we've kept the information going and all of that right through I mean the whole world of live performance has been through the mire and it's not out yet but for the bit that we can do if we could make things look as normal as possible and just keep going and be there to support people um, that was fine and that's what we've gone on doing. And have you found people engaging in your content more during lockdown because they're at home or can spend more time maybe doing the things they want to do? I, you're in this area and I, I never know it's always so random what people actually light on and what they sort of suddenly get suddenly goes well it's not quite viral in jazz let me tell you that but the fact that you know you can yeah I mean people have uh, I, I mean for me it's there are when I get particular pieces in 
um, for really good writers or people with a really personal thing to say. Uh, it's like getting a present and, you know, and, and that's something that I just love about what I do. If I can, um, you know, I, I, I was, I'm writing a sleeve note. I was talking to a wonderful Belgian guitarist this morning, getting his life story out of him. And I feel very satisfied and motivated by the things that I get to do. You know, that's it. Just so many nice things happen. No, that's great. We'll get to hear a bit more about your sort of your outside of London Welsh career and your interests, because uh, I know you're a fascinating man, Seb, um, from, from knowing you for so long. So but how, how did the pandemic affect um, your role at London Welsh? You know, did it because we sort of finished March, had, had the, the Little Wizards finished by then? Yes, um, we had um, we 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 had that kind of we had a have a ritual meeting in February, where we basically explain what's going on for the next season and basically inform the current generation of under sixes what's going to happen. And we had the very good fortune that a gentleman called Vinay Mystery stepped forward in the role of team manager for under sevens. And so, I mean, I I can't imagine that group being in better hands um, than with him and uh, Mr. Louis Ditz, you know, the two of them basically finding their, their responsibilities and things. So that, that you know, those under, those, this is under sevens to basically see that through. And then the rest of the story, I mean, Julian's name is gonna crop up a lot in this, but uh, the story since the beginning of the season has basically been Julian, quite rightly, in my ear saying, we've got to be more organized you're not going to be able to wing it this year. We need more people around before the parents get involved. We and what that's done is what it's triggered is an involvement from people in the club like Marcus and like Ruth Barton and like um, uh, others as well, who've just, and Mike Talbot, people stepping in and basically being there. And the kids with that extra attention have really benefited more. So, I mean, as I say, I mean, it was Julian being... You know him. I mean, at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, he's the first person just walking out onto that grass, putting those cones down. And I just kind of turn up and dance around for the kids, really. And to have to, but, but Julian this year has taken on that role of, you know, we need to do this properly. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind uh, of. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> You've been doing it for 27 years. I think, uh, I think, and uh, lots of people have benefited from your experience. And, uh, and it's good to get more people involved. And we'll, we'll come on to that actually in a minute. Because um, we're heading into what usually is a highlight of the season for, for many people. And that's the Minis Christmas party. But, um, you know, and can you, let, can you let people know what usually happens, you know, when there's no pandemic and what your role is within it? Because it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a tradition that we have, isn't it? Yeah, no, that, that was something, I mean, it, I think, you know, I mean, the rugby club for a five-year-old joining is somewhere that is not home and it's not school, but it's somewhere that has its different rules. And I think that what I, we really wanted to do with that Christmas party was to make it something that they would remember. So the fact that there's a Santa and a dragon, the fact that it's going to be loud, you know, and they kind of, you kind of, you prepare them for that. And then... There are those other things like each age group. I think it's really important to have coaches and children all together as one cohort kind of presenting themselves to the rest of the club. And there's a bit of sort of symbolism in that, that wherever, you know, if you're splitting them up into teams or you're breaking them down, you've got coaches on the one hand and kids on the other for actually to make them all appear to do a performance is actually, it's supposed to have a symbolism and I, I hope it works like that, you know. So every year, each age group does a Christmas carol or a Christmas song, which they then amend the, the words to make it sort of, I suppose, um, London Welsh orientated or rugby orientated. And you, you're usually the accompaniment on saxophone, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I just figure that particularly if they're doing the 12 days of Christmas, they'll take, they could take all morning. So I basically, if I could get them more or less in tune and more or less speeding up, then it basically gets, helps everybody get through it to the other side. Because, yeah, that's, and I, I enjoy that, you know, just, just basically fitting in and playing along and uh, gives me a chance to blow the saxophone, which I always enjoy doing. And I think if you ask some of the youth players now, I'm sure they'll remember their times in the minis, you know, and, and doing these anthems. But you have a, you know, you have a, a, a usual anthem for your little wizards um, and they perform a, a, a dance with it as well, don't they? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a kind of inauthentic hacker, which is, you know, we are London Welsh, we are London Welsh, and then it ends up with a kind of star jump and a cheer. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy that. Like, yeah, it, it's it's something special. And that's why I was thrilled when Fiji Dave got involved with the club. And I kind of, you know, his he, for him to basically start showing the kids what a real hacker might look like would be with something special and that was like a, a dream come through to true something authentic he resisted it i think he resisted it for a couple of years but eventually like kind of we, we we got him there and that was that was special you know i mean i what we want to do as you say is to plant special memories of this place in these children's minds and you know just benefit from the parental attention as well and the coach's attention and all of that you know, those these should be special years and something the london welsh we hope can be a highlight of something where they've made some friends where they've enjoyed themselves and the christmas party is i mean maybe the loudest expression of that that we can get it's certainly loud and it obviously wouldn't be allowed to happen in covid times when you've got about 230 240 people <laughs> having <laughs> singing carols uh, um, and uh, eating sausage and chips and it's chaos in there but hopefully this year you, at least the little wizards will have something in in the next week or two where they can sing their their hacker because it be, wouldn't be oh, yeah. would be great for them not to be able to do that would they because they're only in little wizards for you know once in their life aren't they yeah that's it i mean we wouldn't we get them to do it once and then under sevens is the year when they kind of can can spend more than one year they they wouldn't you know ours is very much an introductory year in which they're being made welcome and then the proper thing starts in in under seven you know definitely so um, let's go back to where you're from, William, and so what parts, if any, sport played in your life growing up? So, you know, again, I, I don't know, so um, pardon, my, pardon my ignorance here, but so where were you brought up, Seb, and, and did you did you play sports growing up? Yeah, this is going to be the hardest bit. This is the bit that I've been slightly dreading because, I mean, I when I grew up, I, until age 11, I was in Winchmore Hill, where they were actually two years as a, as a tot in Dar es Salaam. And then at the age of 11, I went to a boarding school called hospital um, I mean it was a strong rugby school and at one point we had the great Gerald TGR Davis as an English teacher there but I mean I was at 12 I was tall but I was not coordinated enough to really earn a place on a rugby pitch and I was physically I think quite timid and I I mean, I quite enjoy these days the irony of meeting old schoolmates. One said, one of them said to me recently, "I don't think I ever saw you in a rugby shirt at Christ's Hospital," and he's probably right. Yeah. So I was, you know, and I think that's part of it is that I see sport from the perspective of, of these younger kids, of the ones that are going to be left out, and you can. I'll give, I'll give you my, well, there's a Cliff Morgan story which really speaks to that, which is that when I was first getting involved, I remember him, you know, he, there was a coach who would always leave a few substitutes on the side of the pitch. And Cliff would turn his back to the pitch and start passing a ball around the kids that had been left out by the coach. And I just thought, actually, this would have been me. And I think that so much of what I've done with the involvement in the club has been that moment is a kind of decisive moment because I would have been one of the kids who've been left out. And actually, if as a club with, I mean, Cliff is a god of this game and, you know, and 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 it was one of the most wonderful people I've ever had the good fortune to meet and to see him do that. And also, I mean, when I started getting involved with the coaching, he was incredibly encouraging so that, I mean, I, you know, I always had that feeling of imposter syndrome, but he kind of, you know, if you've got the support of someone like that, who says that you can do it, then you're going to, you start believing in yourself. You know, you're right. You know, rugby is a late developing sport. It's, it's very inclusive as well. And I think, you know, a player who might not warm to it immediately can be a star player in three or four years later as, as they develop, you know, and it's important to keep everyone in the game, isn't it? And you, you do that so well at that age group. Yeah, I mean, I, we have no reason not to make children welcome. And you have people who come with all sorts of ideas about what a rugby club is going to be about. And and my, I see our role, Julian, and my role at Under Six is just to make everybody absolutely welcome. And we have a little ceremony where we celebrate their first tries. We make sure that, that families, that are new families are applauded by the, the families who've already been there for a little while. It's about making feel people feel that this, you know, I mean, the southeast of England can 
you know, there is a, you know, social distancing and uh, something which probably comes naturally to a lot of people in the south of England. But if it, you know, in, in, in London Welsh, if we can be a welcoming place and we can make people feel that this is this place can be part of their lives, both as parents and as children and as families all together, then we've done something right. And we certainly do that, definitely. And I think so if rugby wasn't your thing as you were, you were growing up, then was music a big part of your life in, through your teenagers? Yeah, I mean, I would kind of disappear off and play my clarinet and that that did get quite quite serious I, I mean I never even dreamt of it as a as a profession but it was always a, a big interest and that's been maintained ever since my mother had been an actress and that business of culture in your life uh, was something that I was kind of brought up with you know there are you know just just an awareness of, of cultural stuff and she would encourage me to keep on playing and uh, and that was something which I yeah I mean I did a lot did a lot of playing we had a, a kind of school military band at Christ Hospital and I played in that from for most of the time that I was there. So, so post school, you you went off to Oxford to study modern languages. So, which um, I think I know this answer to this question, but I'll ask you just in case I don't. So, what language did you study? And then, whilst you were doing modern languages, did you have, you had a year abroad, I suppose, during that course? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did French and German, and I had a a year that was nineteen seventy five to seventy six, teaching in a school in in Paris and playing in a town band and stuff like that. So yeah, French and German were the languages, and they my spoken languages were always quite good. And I've continued in the careers that I've had since then. The languages have basically enabled me to to have a different perspective and a different angle each time. Obviously, Oxford's quite a you know, special place to go, to go and study, but it's also special in terms of the extracurricular activities that, that students can participate in. So I suppose with your musical background, did you get involved in music at Oxford in any way? Yeah, I mean, I played in things like university orchestra on the clarinet and just about every... And I, I even kind of promoted a, a gig. I, I mean, I, one of my lamest claim to fame is there's a conductor called Harry Christophers, and he'd never directed any group larger than a four-piece or five-piece madrigal uh, ensemble of singers. And I basically got him directing an eight-piece wind choir. And that was he, his Harry Christopher's first conducting date was a concert that I promoted in one of my, yeah, my last year. 60p admission in the Hall of Maudling College. <laughs> I won't ask what the year was. So I, don't, I won't do that. I won't do that. Um, but then you went on to study like a, an MA then in German studies. Was was that also Oxford? No, that was a Birkbeck. That was part time. Uh, I got. I, I I found that I had when I was working in my very first job. I had spare time on my hands, and I hadn't. I just liked the idea of going and doing some more writing and uh, they basically put all of the German specialists in London University at your disposal and you'd go off and write essays so I did that as a as a part-timer while starting and and then that was while while getting career underway. So what so after you left Oxford then what was your sort of um what did you want to do and then what did the, what did you end up doing <laughs> or was it the same I, thing? Well, no, I don't. Think, I mean, I think the honest truth is that I didn't have a have a clue. I my, I think I I'd had with that year teaching in France. I think I had the idea that I wasn't going to be a teacher, um, but I was looking around for other things. And I, I mean, it's I ended up in I mean stockbroking, and within before very long, I mean having I was writing things about the gilt-edged market, the term structure of interest rates, and the weekly economic indicators within about six months of, you know, finishing having been writing about Proust and Flaubert, you know, it was a very strange thing, and I seem to get away with that, so that was, that was, yeah, it was the city that started off in government stocks, and then at some point in that, we got taken over by some Belgians, and somehow I started becoming an expert on Belgium, which is a, a cure. So there were about yeah, 23 years in the city, of which 17 were starting bluffing and then eventually <laughs> knowing quite a lot about Belgium. And so your, your languages, language skills would have come in useful then, I suppose, wouldn't they, when you, when you were dealing with European markets, things like that? Yeah, that's right. And that was, you know, it was, uh, you know, being able to follow meetings in the other language and things. I mean, I got, we got myself and a good colleague, we, we got to, to know Dutch quite well, because the Dutch will always start off, start off conversations among themselves and, and assume that you don't understand a word of what they're saying. But but if you can actually pick some up, you're a, a, a step ahead, you know. Yeah, it was, there was the languages and it was, it was fascinating just getting to know a country in, in depth and, uh, and um, doing all doing all of that 
and uh, that that sort of kept on going until my mid 40s yeah and then after that then did you then focus more on on the sort of the, the jazz side of things really in terms of um uh, trying to get uh so you got a job out of your your interests or did this did this happen by osmosis i suppose uh it was an awkward transition it took quite a few years to actually find the right thing because you come from in there you know the that the, there's very different tribes and uh, you kind of move from one to another and you don't really i didn't really understand what the, the cultural and and the word i mean i used to go in for for job interviews for jobs and uh, I mean I, that, I think I now call it my extreme sport because actually there were so many people trying for these jobs I would tell my, my CV was always interesting enough that I would get interviewed but I never got anywhere near it and it really wasn't until I set up my own thing which was this blog starting in 2009 that that began to to make sense and and the writing really developed and editing and uh, and it was that that kind of yeah it's the communication thing that kind of got going and there again I mean the languages have led me to some really interesting things this time it's been the Germans because the Germans I mean I, I do a lot of translating out of German because the Germans really do care that the things that go out in their name are actually correct as English and uh, so I started off doing a lot of yeah translating sleeve notes and press notices and things for and and also just translating nice reviews that I enjoyed reading and and that kind of thing so the continental angle on this career has been a really has been something well you can tell from the tone of my voice it gives me a, a lot of satisfaction I think you can definitely hear that Seb look obviously you're using your your, your love of music and languages now in, in, a, in a role that suits you so 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 through this time then so you've you've now sort of set up London Jazz News is that is that the blog you're talking about in 2009 yeah. and so, yeah. so since then that has been your um you know your, your your job and so so what what you know is it what is London Jazz News so our listeners can understand you know what what you do and what that does well, it's a, a website that kind of expresses the, the things that are going on in the jazz community. We do what a lot of other people do, which is reviewing albums and, uh, and doing features about people who've got new albums out. But we also, I also am really interested in the kind of authentic voice of the musician. I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes, for example, a very great English bass player died a couple of weeks ago, Ron Matthewson. And... Uh, Dave Holland, who's um, a big figure in the jazz world, um, Ron Matthewson was his hero when he was young, and I got Dave to write a tribute, you know, and to be able to give that kind of authentic voice celebrating, it's like holding up a, 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 a positive mirror to a community that sometimes is down on itself, you know, and we also do a newsletter which basically um, gives a load of information out and people, I mean, I... I had a lovely moment with the director of the Montreal Jazz Festival who told me once told me that he read his newsletter before he got out of bed in the morning you know and it leads me to interesting things I mean I've been yeah I mean I went six years in a row to the Montreal Jazz Festival I've been invited down to Cape Town it's you know I'm very I'm very lucky with the things that I get to do and the blog um, and the newsletter have been at the at the heart of that you know. So do you go out to gigs at all or do you actually participate in gigs as well you know um uh, obviously pre-COVID, is that something you would do, Seb? I, I, there's a the jazz phrase, this bigger sitter in. I mean, I, I have occasionally been asked, I have actually performed, not a lame claim to fame coming here, I have performed <laughs> one chorus of Pennies from Heaven in F on the main stage at Ronnie Scott's, you know, um, and then thank you very much. <laughs> and then go off, you know, that was, that was it. But, you know, I mean, the, I think it's, it's a bit like when you're, you do something as a good amateur, then you appreciate how good the, the real professionals are at it. And that's certainly true in this in this music, you know. And uh, I can occasionally, I mean, I, one of the advantages of being, a, I used to live very close to the club in Pagoda Avenue, is that there was a, there's a very good jazz school at the adult college in Parkshot. And I used to go there and, and learn jazz from, from some amazing people there who also i mean that's they're, they're they welcome people in you know if you you know you they they'll they'll help you know that's one of the characteristics of a really good jazz educator is that they can deal with people all the way from primary school children up to you know totally seasoned performers and just you know help everybody on their way and that's that's in the ethos of the the jazz community it's it's a you know there's a welcome there going on 
So you mostly play stuff for your pleasure or for our pleasure at London Welsh then, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's I, the main uh, thing is is this writing and communication. I, you know, I, I, I wanted a role in music that wasn't just writing checks because that wouldn't have lasted very long. And I wanted a role that wasn't playing. And I've kind of, as I say, it's I've found that role. And it's a nice role because if you're basically helping people to get their names out there, then what you normally see from them, if if they've got a best side, then that's what they're going to show you, which is a nice position to be in. You know, it's, it's just, you know, allowing people to be seen at their best. And I quite enjoy that. That sounds lovely, that, actually. And you may have alluded to, to an answer now, because you said when you lived near the ground. So I take it, you know, I asked you, why did you come to London Welsh? You know, and why did you, why did you choose look, that club for your children's rugby education? Well, it's literally, I mean, we, it's the nearest piece of, of green space. And I think it was my ex-wife, Lindsay, who came up with the idea is, what's that? What goes on over there? And so we started, I mean, I brought our eldest there and uh, he, uh, well, he's now lives in, you know, he's 36, I think he lives in Phnom Penh in Cambodia and he's got two little boys. But, you know, at, at, at a, as a small lad, he came over to, to London Welsh. He tried it. I mean, his real love was was QPR, I think, you know, and, and he'd be, you know, the, that's just the, the passion. But he, he tried out rugby. I think it was one tournament where he came across Bath under 10s and they were very big and very mean. And I think at that point he decided that his rugby career was was over. He did go back to American football as a student at Warwick, but um, the rugby was not something that you know that, that lasted. Although he helped out in the shop, and he still looks at London looks upon London Welsh as his club, as do the other two. So yeah, they three sons, you know, and three son families like in London Welsh, the Collinses and the Davies, you know, three son families. You kind of gravitate to a place like this. Did they, they all did they all play for a bit then at the club then is that right yeah yeah, yeah the 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 young the middle one is a musician and and he went on till about fifteen sixteen although that was at a time when the 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 youth were 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 not didn't have the numbers and he had a good mate at Scottish and went and played for them which kind of you know an angel died in heaven when he went and played for London Scottish but you know. <laughs> and then the youngest one um, was uh, at, at, at carried on playing until the end of school. Uh, and uh, he's probably the yeah he's, he 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 went on and they, so they all had a time and they all very much uh, you know have a, a break, have the club in their you know with a firm point in their affections. So we've mentioned Little Wizards a little bit um, earlier in the podcast, but uh, but who are the Little Wizards at London Welsh uh, for people who don't know? Well, it's the it's if people join us before the age of six, then that's where they land for the first time. Um, we get uh, anything at the moment this season is fairly typical. We've had mid-twenties of, of children there. And it's like an in, very much an introductory year. And we try to make it fun for them and try and make them just feel, parents and children, feel welcome in the club. We do a lot of kind of handling skills. And I think the, the aim is kind of limited to that, really. It's just, you know, this is your club. Enjoy it. Get used to the idea of people clapping you when you score a try, and just—I mean, I, you know, there's there's probably some some things that we don't encourage. I mean, if we get the, you know, what that kind of, you know, Jonathan, I'm watching you, kind of dad that is, is certain clubs in London specialise in. I, you know, I, I've got the authority these days, and as is Julian, that we kind of encourage people if they want to get involved, then they get involved in a, in the on on sort of on our terms, running out, looking after a group of three or four kids. Um, and that gradually happens during the course of the season. Um, and, you know, we, there, there are, um, it's, yeah, it's an introductory year. And during that time also, we, as you, you're probably going to come onto this, and then we kind of also identify um, parents who are interested in taking charge and in getting involved in other ways. Yeah. The next victims, as we call them. But look, look, <laughs> most parents, in, in a way, move with their children to help coach, like as you say, like that, and move with the under sevens. But thank goodness for us, you chose. Think you think? Do you know what? Um, I'm going to help this year group, the Little Wizards, uh, and you've been doing that now for 27 years. So why did you decide to? Uh, it may be even longer than 27 years. So I've probably got that wrong, actually. But when did you decide to think that was the right place for, for you to, to help the club? 
I think, um, I mean, my, yeah, my children were coming through it. I think it was when the youngest one uh, got involved and got slightly older, I thought, well, actually, I don't have the technical knowledge to take uh, take this further. But it also, I, I mean, I, my years can get a bit confusing, but there's a, there was a point where the RFU made a decision that no child, it was there in black and white on a on a, some kind of edict from Twickenham, saying that no child was allowed to get involved in a competitive fixture before their sixth birthday. And that kind of fitted in with me sort of changing careers. And I actually thought at that point, if that's the way it's going to work, then we could do something really special for these kids. And that actually kind of saw me into this role of let's basically just coach them at the club let's look after them here let's make them welcome and actually if the rule i mean it's like turning a restriction into a real virtue and that that was the kind of defining moment of there is a job that needs doing here and we can do it really well and make to make it into a special year that they'll never um forget i was gonna say that they'll never remember but no a special year that they'll never forget and then um just to let them be and let parents be around the club and bacon sandwiches and 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 you know tasting the the brains and just uh, better that is um, and just you know be welcome in a club and that that was the kind of green light and it coincided with me sort of being more at home and actually there was a time when I mean Julian was chair of the minis and I was his deputy so we kind of worked together at that at that point you know as well um and uh so it all that kind of sowed the seeds and also i think i was i mean gareth streeter who was around in the club at that point became a kind of uh mentor um and he kind of supported it as well and uh he's a lovely one of those lovely gentle people i've ever come across and uh has all those instincts you know to live up to Gareth Streeter's uh, 80-20 praise to criticism in your life in general will always take a lot of doing, you know. Well, he, he was involved in coaching in the club, wasn't he? But look, I think the key, key thing for me is that I think the RFU have moved more towards your model for people in the minis now. And it's not about fixtures and winning. It's about participation and being inclusive and everyone gets a game. There's, there, you know, and there's no real winners. It's just keep, keep people playing, really. And that's a, a really good model. And, and as they get older, obviously, to 11 or 12, then they start playing more competitive fixtures. And so, uh, but it's, it's great. This is people, children still don't play um, fixtures until they're after after the six, which is which is the key thing. So, which which is great, really. So, but I think what I'd like to know more about that, Seb, is is your secret in terms of getting parents involved. You seem seem to always have this knack of getting of dragging the right people in to then help you in that year, then to take that year group forward for the club. I think it's something that one learns through doing it, really. I think when I when I started it, it was trying to identify just the leaders. But actually, what you also identify are the real the backbone of, of the people who are the ones who are not necessarily going to take the lead, but actually have, in many cases, the, the culture of rugby clubs deep in them and know what sort of know what's expected before you've even told them and things and and they you know it, it's the rare ones that are going to be say that are going to be convinced themselves into the role of actually running the others but you need both you need the people who are prepared to take on the responsibility and you also need the people who are just happy to help and be involved in their kids life and we i think we kind of set a tone in which that's going to happen you know and it's uh you can see you know the the ones that are sort of sort of you just feel people warming to it, you know, and just sympathising with them. You know, I mean, I, I you know, whenever there are internationals going on, you have people within their first time of refing, they're going to have to deal with full tackling, ball ripping, handoffs, and all of that, which you know, which for very good reasons are strictly illegal at six and seven and eight, you know, and just helping them to assert the authority to keep the children safe, you know. And uh, no, it's a, it's a lovely role to to be in. Um, buying a few whistles, handing them out, and hoping that you don't get them back. You know. Yeah, no, that's certainly how you got people involved. <laughs> and actually, you're responsible for recruiting half our board to volunteer at London <laughs> Welsh. So, you're, so, so you know, that's that's what people need to understand. So people like Gwyn Williams, Mike Talbot, Tim Bogue, Dave Brunston, even myself, were given one of these whistles by Seb and you sort of dragged along to, to, to help and it's, honestly it's, it's much more rewarding um, being involved rather than standing on a touchline watching 
And I think that's what, and the love, love, just the love of being a volunteer at London Welsh is what you've given loads of people. It's something lovely about rugby. It's just that, I mean, I remember they, they, it's Declan, who's, uh, who was running the FA's respect programme uh, at one point, would go back to the um, FA and, you know, there's this question that they would ask in football is how come football has to spend, you know, soccer has to spend millions on what rugby gets for nothing? You know, it, it's, that's the, it's, the, it's deep in the, the culture that, that involvement and uh, and it doesn't. I mean, as I say, I mean, someone like Vinay has come along, or I mean, Gwyn as well. I mean, people who know who understand what a rugby club is from having been inside it and in whatever role they don't. It doesn't take an awful lot of pulling them over. And also, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, if I, I, there are people. I mean, I remember Adrian Davis coming along, and I mean, he'd had such a heavy involvement and he is also such a charismatic figure the moment he steps anywhere near a rugby pitch you know it was always going to happen that he was going to be involved and I wouldn't put him under any pressure you know because it, it would be completely out of place it's it's people who, you've got to find people who want that involvement and you know and and if the children I mean if the children are having fun at this age then then the parents can see that and it's it's easy for them to to get involved you know yeah. Definitely. But it's also very noticeable, I think, that the children that you've coached in your group are well behaved and listen well, right? Because you have children who join in subsequent years don't seem to have initially at least the listening skills and behaviour that the children have who started their rugby journey in the Little Wizards. So what is your secret? I know you're, a, I don't know how tall you are, but you're six foot four, quite imposing. Mm -hmm. Do you think the children are just scared to do anything, mis misbehave when you're in charge? <laughs> well, it's, as you know, I mean, you touch my heart when you say things like that, and it's incredibly kind. I mean, the way that I, I suppose what I believe in, and it comes from the music and the performance thing, is that actually there is a level that people are capable of rising when you actually encourage them and lift them. And actually, in the case of young children on a rugby pitch, if you actually increase their attention levels and work at that, you know, and sometimes, you know, I mean, I feel if I've not got them, that not got them involved and engaged and focused, that I'm kind of failing and that I probably need to lift the energy level in order. It's, that is work. That is, that's not a, an accident. I mean, it is just, you know, I pulling those eyes in to the point where you've actually got them all focused on you is actually a, a something that, that takes, that takes work and takes the experience. And I think that, you know, if you can keep them happy, you can keep them safe. And that's where I start from with this. I mean, I also kind of self-indulge a little bit is that, you know, I do that business where you're like, I can't hear you, you know, get them to shout louder because I can't resist the, the, the sound of 25 or 30 little kids absolutely at peak volume because that's something they can't do at home. It's something they can't do at school, but at London Welsh, they can do that. And that's something just lifting their attention levels and things. And you also, I mean, you've got children who will look away. There's one who, you know, you'll see along a little row of eyes. There's one of them who's testing you just for the fun of it. You know, and tell you know, and just and then, you know, you kind of work with that, and just you know, and that and there was an inspirational head where my boys went to school, and he used to very much work on the culture of the we, we. You know, it's the um, we do things this way, and if you can instill that in children, and actually, I mean, that that is so much more valuable than telling them rules and telling them what they can't do is we do it this way. And so, you know, I mean, something that I'm often faced with with the really young ones and something that I notice that other clubs, if they've got relatively inexperienced people involved, is you'll find the kid who thinks, ah, rugby club, this is somewhere where I can walk up to complete random strangers and hug them. I mean, where that idea comes from, you never know, but there are kids that will do that. I see that happening and I will pull them apart because actually the kid that is on the receiving end of that is the one who could very easily react against it. And it's that you notice, you know, they want to be close, but there are some of them that, oh, you know, they're getting, I mean, I, mean, I remember one kid who suddenly got the idea in his head that a rugby club was where somebody could stamp on people's Achilles tendons and, you know, just literally put your foot on their heel. And you think, where the hell did that come from? You know, they've got these, some very... These are five-year-old children, aren't they? So they, they're not going to do everything as a told. But you just, as I said, you certainly get um, 
uh, they're just more amenable and well-behaved children. And, and I think that's such a such a gift to give the, the coach you to then take that forward. It, it really is. And I think you've it's not, it's not about discipline. I think just that, that they've enjoyed the experience with you. And I think just and then and learned how to behave on the rugby field through the coaching that you've given them and Julian as well. So I mean. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I, I'm always, I mean, what keeps me, one of the things that keeps me coming back is that the things that the children will will show you and will dream up for themselves at this age. You know, I told you about children who are kind of challenging you, but the ones, I mean, there was one kid I remember who who just decided that his natural position on a rugby pitch, literally in his first game, was what they call, um, I think in a in a um, in, in American football, it's called an offensive guard. Basically, this kid decided that his role on a rugby pitch was going to be literally with his elbow to shield the ball carrier. And I, you know, you think, where the hell does that come from? And you've been, you know, so long as so long as the other people are safe and they're not literally being flattened by that, you can let him do that until you actually until it comes unstuck, you know. But but you know, there are other kids. I mean, there's one. There's a kid who decides that what he wants to do is the moment the try's gone. You know, try celebrations. Are, I mean, where he didn't want to get involved in. He wanted to be back for the restart. Just be the first one there. You know, and kids will show you those extraordinary things that are, at that age. That you know, you know. I remember a French kid who started, you know, waiting till the girls were chasing him because he had a new rugby shirt on. You know, compete with that. You know, and that's the joy of it. It's just, it's to see these kids expressing something on a pitch that that they you, they they probably never knew was there. Um, and that that's uh, you know that that's always they will always do something that 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 amazes you. You know, and that's the joy of it. And do you keep like a not a record, but do you, do you know those players who've come who started their journey? Through the Little Wizards with you, and then have they gone to play for the first team London Welsh, or even gone, you know, to play um, professional rugby somewhere um, within, you know, the, uh, in this country or in other countries? I think there are five or six who've made it into the um, under seventeen England, under eighteen England setups and things. I mean, the standout one who actually, I mean, he had rugby in his background anyway. I, I mean, I found myself watching the the. Uh, the Rio um, Sevens final between GB and Fiji uh, quite a few times because the one who made the yards for the only England try, sorry, the only Great Britain try, I beg your pardon, in that game was uh, Ollie Lindsay Haig, who was part of our setup as a as a youngster, and that's been very very proud moment. But I think you know, I I I don't think it, that's what it's about. I think it's about people um, finding. Uh, a part of themselves that they that they feel good about, you know, and and that gets that the camaraderie that gets them through difficult situations in life, you know, and and the joy of of being in you know a place that's not home and that's not school that is different where they can make friends, you know. I think that that probably gives me the the bigger satisfaction. And so that's funny. My my younger son saw Ollie Lindsay Haig um, when we were going to get tickets for the sevens at Twickenham. And he was there, and he mentioned that you know he's from London Welsh. Next minute, Ollie Lindsay Hay gets my youngest boy into the bus with all the England seven players for a photo. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so you obviously that connections there through London Welsh to have done that. So he, he didn't need to do that, but he, he obviously wanted to, which is great. So we we look back at your sort of time, you know, at London Welsh for twenty seven years. You know, what have been your your highlights of co coaching this group? Well, I I think the I mean at the end of the twentieth season was the season that were the, the first season we were at the Kassem. and I remember we had um, Frank Montanella and um, Palika Eon and Ed Williamson in the team with all I mean their their sons all of them in the team and and that you know the the, the um, that was amazing that we had an afternoon where we took them all, everybody, 59 people, I remember, going all the way to the Kassam and forming a guard of honour and, and that kind of thing. Um, that was a very special day. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think it also woke me up to the idea that actually, I mean, they were all by that point in the year injured, you know, and... Um, and we, uh, they were very different children. I mean, Palika's boy was quite shy, um, uh, um, Frank's little boy uh, was was basically he had that already that look as a four year old. I excuse me, I I own this pitch, you know. <laughs> and his father would basically I remember those words. His father would just shout, "Vaplaki Jack, 
go and tackle Jack, you know. So he would literally throw his body as a four-year-old at Ed Williamson's little boy. And that just seeing those those families relax. And also, I mean, you know, for me to be coaching international, the sons of international players, I mean, what a privilege that is. And I always remember, um, I mean, with Scott Ruskell, when he was a, a player, who would bring his son along. And I, that, that kind of was, you know, he would... Um, his son would start kind of in the relays, would step forwards and, and Scott would say, yeah, I always did that. You know, that kind of business of just putting yourself onside until offside until nobody, somebody noticed you, you know. And, but there again with Scott, I mean, he, do you, I mean, he remember him, Scott Ruskell asking me, would, do you think Cliff Morgan would mind if I asked him for a, auto, to autograph my, his autobiography for me or something like that? You know, it was that kind of, he had that kid's thing faced with cliff and those those are moments you know I, those are moments that i that i never i never forget but it you know just every, every year those those february meetings that we have trying to bring the new generation to the point of committing for next for the next year and working that process through but and just being there on a on a sunny day and and getting pictures and telling parents that the you know the pictures are going to last longer than results and just enjoying and being around it you know? no no it's great it's great to hear that actually because because in the in your 25th anniversary the club hosted a dinner to recognize this special achievements i can't believe that there are many clubs out there who had somebody coach the under sixes for 25 years and you've done that so naturally we had some music and entertainment with you playing and he has an act from north wales i think from flint i believe i think it could be and then which is which is for those who were there it was a magical evening but what did dinner mean to you and your family really so well it was you know my, my um my ex-wife and her partner were there and that you know she was the one who originally got me into all this and it was a chance in a way to say thank you for that and uh, it was also you know a couple of my two of my sons were there and uh, and also people from down the down the years and and Ian Shaw playing and uh, me getting to play you know dream a little dream of me and Callan Lan with Ian Shaw and things it just it was it was yeah it was a lovely celebration and and uh i i felt very privileged and the speeches that you and gwen and russ gave there were you know um, just lovely things to to receive it was yeah i just feel very like my involved my whole involvement with the with the club i feel very lucky to have really and uh don't really question it and i'm i'm very grateful that i have partners who have a partner who uh who puts up with this <laughs> kind of, you know, the weekends and the from September to April are, are not what most people's weekends are. And I'm lucky that uh, that, that is, is allowed to, to happen, really. I mean, your commitment in terms of number of years is, 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 is monumental, but I'm right in thinking sometimes you drive from Cambridge on a Sunday morning to come and coach uh, I, I did for a while. Did, I think okay. these days I go, I go on, a, on, a, on a Saturday evening because it's, uh, it's, that, is, that is slightly hardcore extreme um so i'll i'll come down on the sunday morning from my my place uh, in uh, just in, just near kentish town but uh, it never feel it's never felt like a chore it's always felt like a pleasure I and mean, also i mean it's that thing of when you see the commitment of other people around and by other people i obviously mean julian you know he's there he's by the time i've got there there are these cones in in neat rows and my cone my coning is a disaster so, you know so and and, and uh, you know that that mix of skills that the two of us have and that you know it's about trust it's about teamwork it's about bringing the bringing some joy into children's lives having them shouting their heads off for the hell of it you know and and uh, it's a lovely way to to start a sunday no, oh, it's great. And you're right, June is the first person there, no matter what the weather. Mm. And so, um, which, which is fantastic. And it's also, you know, it's quite social for you because I know often we see the both of you having a bacon sandwich and a coffee after <laughs> training. And that, you know, that's that, that's part of part of the experience for you, I imagine, as well, isn't it, Seb? Yeah, I mean, it's just being around the club and getting to know the parents and uh, just chatting, uh, you know, because after, you know, you have the kind of the formal, you know, it's all about those structured and formal sessions. And then just being around the people and building those those relationships and, uh, and friendships. You know, there's I always remember that if you read the at the end of Cliff Morgan's autobiography is that he feels lucky to have played rugby at a time when it was played for fellowship and fun. 
and I, you know, try never to lose that spirit because, as I say, I mean, he's a he's a hero, and the spirit in which he played the game was, was something very special. So, so how do we keep you involved with this group? Because you mentioned you had, you had some more assistance, you got more structure now. So, so Julian's been helping um, for five or six years now, but he's been by your side. And recently, we've got Ruth, Marcus, Michael, Gwyn all helping you. Is that is that the secret moving forward? Just having more people like that helping this age group? Yeah, I mean the progress because of that impulse from Julian to basically get the, the extra people involved at the beginning of the season has just smoothed it so much. And you can actually recognise, even though we've had fewer sessions through the lockdown, actually the progress that the children have made just through having more attention on them has been something remarkable. And, you know, I mean, the parents have commented just, you know, just in a few sessions where they've got to over that time. And that's been helped by the fact that we've, you know, been able to play three or four aside rather than five or six aside and it's made a huge difference you know i i and uh, it's uh, julian was saying you know that we shouldn't sort of waste the crisis we should learn something from it and he's been absolutely spot on and uh, we have the benefit to show from it that's it's uh, and i think we will try and take that model and have a, a roster of people just you know rotating who've been involved in the early stages of the season I and mean, it kind of it moves during the season because the parents kind of grow up a bit i am back recording now so what does the future hold for seb scotland and the little wizards you know, how long can we see you at london welsh do you think for <sighs> I'm there for the time being at, uh, without without any intention of stopping. I'm enjoying it. I still get a lot of pleasure out of it. And the teamwork with Julian and what we're able to do now with these extra coaches this year has been fantastic. I mean, we've, you know, Julian's been absolutely right. And he's actually, you know, the way that we've got these extra people involved has enabled us to make much more progress with the It's a it's a teamwork and trust thing, and what we've done this year has been surprisingly effective. And I, you know, I'm in, I'm enjoying it, and I don't I don't have any doubts that it's a great place to be and a great activity to be involved with. That's great news. That's great news for everyone, really. I think, and for the future of London Welsh Minis. So just to just to wrap up, really, Seb. Now for you, what does being a key volunteer for London Welsh mean to you? Um. It's just a lovely place to be and I think the club is in a fantastic um, shape at the moment with the kind of team spirit that we have at all levels and uh, it, one takes that model of, of trust and teamwork and fellowship and fun into the other areas of one's life, you know, and that uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, special place to be and I don't regret a single minute of my involvement. Seb, thank you very much. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for getting me involved all those years ago. So thank you very much. But thanks for your time today. OK, all the best. Absolute pleasure. Cheers.